continue on in our series in the life of Joseph. And uh, I'm going to ask Mr. Kelespies over there, if you would, could you bring the lights up just a smidge? I want to keep track of Bill Anderson back there and Tony LaTampa. Uh, so could you bring the lights up a little bit? Yeah, I know you're sitting back there. We are going to continue talking about the life of Joseph and this 17-year-old young man, now a few years older than that in this part of our story, uh, is really walking through some difficult detours and challenges in his life. And uh, it's interesting that the Joseph character takes approximately 12 to 13 chapters of the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve didn't get that much time. Noah didn't get that much time in Scripture or that much space in Scripture. But yet the story of Joseph, who really, when you look at his life, he's a, he's a Christ figure, if you will. When you look at the, the dynamics of his life and the things that were accomplished and the example that he was, you see Christ-like qualities and characteristics within the life of Joseph. I don't know if you've ever read his story with that in mind, but the next time that you take time to read through the life of Joseph, think Jesus. Think Jesus Christ-like qualities and, and situations and reflections of Jesus, even in, in the life of uh, Joseph. But we've been talking about how that uh, life has a way of uh, giving us detours. And uh, Joseph, indeed, has been uh, on not only a journey to a dream, but on the detours along the way. And we've been talking about uh, how that God does, indeed, give dreams to us. And talking to uh, one of the youth sponsors this morning, kind of interestingly uh, to note, and he was just sharing about a recent dream he had at night and some of the spiritual things that he's gaining from that dream concerning himself and concerning a very, very close friend of his. And I thought, isn't that interesting? I mean, not in a holy, holy writ sort of way, but in a personal experience sort of way, here, this dream had come, and there's spiritual meaning, there's spiritual relevance. There was even scripture attached to what this young man had dreamt. And so God continues to give dreams, and we know that that was Joseph's experience. He received dreams. Now, Joseph got in trouble because he talked a little bit too much to too many people and to the wrong people about those dreams. And so we know in the history of his story here that not only was he hated and ridiculed by his brothers, but he was also the favorite of his father. And as a result, one day, his, his brothers, out of anger, nabbed him, threw him into this cistern and this pit, and so much, really, for the dreams. Or so he probably thought. This is not the way to the fruition and the completion of these dreams. I'm in a deep, dark, miry, slimy, cold cistern pit this certainly can't be what God has in mind on the way to the completion of the dream. Yet, we know in this seeming detour that God had something in mind for Joseph there. And we indicated last week that we see evidence in chapter 39 that there was a change of heart. There was a change of attitude that God had been able now to pour out favor upon Joseph, give Joseph status, position, influence and authority in this Egyptian empire. And I believe the Lord was able to do that because the Lord was able to adjust Joseph's heart 
and attitude in that dark, deep place where he faced himself in his own pride, in his own arrogance, and his own I'm better than my brother's attitude. And in that dark place, just like it is with us, isn't it true that in the dark place, usually that's where the Lord says, I've got something to do inside of you. And that's why I've allowed you to be in this dark place. And so don't despise dark places in your life. Don't despise places where things don't seem to be going in the right direction. I feel like I'm on a detour. I feel like I'm in a dark place. I can't understand. I can't see in front of me. And I don't know what's ahead. Don't despise that place, but allow the Lord to do the work he wants to do inside of you in that place. And in that way, Joseph is indeed an example for us. We're going to look at the very last verse in chapter 37, and then we're going to launch over to chapter 39. Go to Genesis 37, verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So we don't want to leave Joseph in the pit from last week. We want to know that he was taken and he was sold into the Egyptian system and he was sold to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And so now if you flip over to 39, because 38 does not contain Joseph's story, if we go over to chapter 39, we're going to resume his story. And I'd like to read the first six verses Of chapter 39. Follow along with me if you will. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. We see here that Joseph, under the sovereign favor of God, he leaves the pit as a slave and is now in an Egyptian palace. What a promotion! What a wonderful change has happened in Joseph's life. Now, we don't know the time period. We don't know how much time had, had transpired between his being brought out of the pit until he was introduced to the palace. But we know that this transition has been made. And he's not a servant there in the palace, but he's now an overseer. And all that Potiphar had, as we just read, was put in Joseph's charge. In fact, the last verse that we read, the only thing Potiphar had to worry about was what he was having for lunch. That's all that he had to worry about. He had such trust and confidence in Joseph to the point where all he had to do is worry about his personal life. 
This was quite an astounding step for Joseph. And we see in those first two verses, especially two and three, why all of this took place. And notice it had very little to do with Joseph and very much to do with Joseph's God. It says there that Joseph's God favored, placed his favor upon Joseph. So much so that not only Joseph recognized it, but it says here that Potiphar even recognized that the Lord was with Joseph. And it was at this point, when Joseph is at the top of his game, here comes another detour. Here comes another test. Here comes another lesson. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord would just put us in the easy lane and then just teach us there? I would personally enjoy that. God, we're in the easy lane. Things are good. Finances are healthy. Family is doing well. The job is secure. My family is in in good relationships with each other. We're in the easy lane. So teach me something while we're here. But he knows us. And he knows that life's lessons come better to us. We're more engaged in learning them and we're more receptive to him when we're in a detour. We're in a place where it's hard. Things aren't clear. The next step isn't obvious. We've got problems that we're trying to solve and go through. We have family struggles that we're trying to resolve. We're working on our marriage, etc., etc. All of those things are going on, and the Lord says, you are in the prime place for me to bring a lesson to you, to help you grow in character. And really, my friends, that's the real reason for tests. God isn't an arbitrary God that just says, you know what, Tom Corey needs a few tests. So here, Tom, you know. You know, Steph, Steph Corey, I wasn't picking on Corey's today, but Steph Corey, you need a few tests. Uh, you know, Rachel, you haven't had a few for a while, so here's a few for you. You know, God isn't arbitrary. God is looking at our character. He's looking at our future. He's looking at our destiny. He's looking at where he's taking us. And where he's taking us and what he puts in us has to match. And so, therefore, the character that he's building in us is readying us for what he has for us. He won't take us somewhere unless he puts the character within us in order to sustain us when we're there. And so, God allows and orchestrates and even brings testing and detours to us because he wants to dig into our character. He wants to test it. He wants to see what's there. He wants us to see what's there. And then he wants to work on us there. And we've seen that happen with Joseph. And now Joseph's in a great place. He's in the easy lane. He's on the fast track. He probably thought, you know what? These dreams, this is when these dreams are going to take place. This is when these dreams are going to come to pass. My brothers are going to end up here and they're going to bow down to me. I wonder if Joseph had private thoughts like that. I'll bet that he did. He was probably about 20 years old at this time. And he's probably thinking, this is what the Lord has in mind. But let's read on, verses 7 and following. Actually, the end of 6 says this. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. He was a looker. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. 
With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph, we see, passes the test of purity. He's on the detour of temptation, and the test on that detour of temptation is the test of purity. This is a test that God brings to his children. The test of pure and right living. Pure and right living. I want to share with you some ways and some reasons that Joseph was able to pass the test. And he can teach us some things today because we live in such a sexually confused world. I'll just put it that way. We live in such a sexually permissive world, a sexually subjective world, that as believers today, where's our compass? Where's our guide? Where's where's the rock-solid principles and guides that we are, even if the world's all confused around us? Where do we stand? Can we stand? Will we stand? On what will we stand? When the, when the tornado and the hurricane of cultural subjectivism just keeps spinning. And let me just tell you, it's spinning now. It's only going to spin more. It's just going to continue because the nature of the world is to spin away and downward from God. It's what it has always done. It's only going to get trickier. It's only going to get, sorry to tell you, but it's the truth. It's going to get worse. My concern is for us. In the midst of the shifting, where, where are we going to put our feet down and say, this is it. This is where we stand. And no matter if the world shifts further, I'm not going here. I'm standing here. And here is the place to stand. This is the place to stand, my friend. As antiquated and out of date and irrelevant and old fogeyish and traditional and all of those words that we hear, as much as the Word of God is called all of those things, there is no other sure place to stand. There's none. There is none. And Joseph, in the midst of the Egyptian culture, in the midst of a woman that is after him, Did you hear that in the scripture? Day after day after day after day. Here she is, here she is, here she is, here she is. Joseph's 20 years old. He's not an old man. He's young. He's handsome. He's virile. He's responsible. He's healthy. He's strong. And here comes this woman after him in an empty palace. In an empty palace. Day after day after day. 
How does he stand? How does he handle this? We want to talk about that this morning. First of all, he runs. <laughs> Verse 12, did you see it? I was talking to somebody last night, and I thought, you know, I should name this sermon, Run, Baby, Run. <laughs> just, just run! You know? Notice in this passage, you don't have Joseph reasoning, trying to talk his way out of this. He does speak back to her. He's not going to do this. He's not going to sin at this horrible wickedness and evil against God. He speaks up, but he realized the speaking up wasn't going to handle it. It wasn't going to cut it. It wasn't going to fix it. It wasn't going to change it because her intentions were greater than his words, and so he used his feet, and even though he left with some of his clothing, he was out of there. He was out of there. The Bible says that he fleed. Some of your scriptures will say. And basically that word just means run away. Get out of there. Even if he had to leave his garment in Potiphar's wife's hands, the scripture says, in order to get away, he got away. He got away. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18, Paul takes the same principle to the New Testament believers in Corinth, and he tells them the same thing. He tells them the same thing. He says, flee sexual immorality. Run away. Separate yourself. Get out of the company of those people. Move into a different situation. Leave the job. Move out of the situation. Move out of the neighbor. You know, whatever it takes. For Joseph, it was just get out of the presence of this woman. But what could it mean to us? Nothing in your life is greater than your relationship with God. Nothing in your life is worth sacrificing your relationship with the Lord and the purity that he wants you to have. Friends come and go, locations come and go, jobs come and go, different things come and go. And here, Joseph gives us a great example, and the Apostle Paul backs it up. Run, flee, remove yourself. That's how Joseph passed the test. He just got out of there. Verse 9. How did Joseph pass this test for purity? His desire for purity ran deep. His desire to be God's man ran deeper than his own sexual desires and his own inclinations and his own personal lusts and things that he would want. His, his purity, his desire for God ran deeper. How can we fight the impurity of our age? May your relationship and love for Jesus run deeper. Look at verse 9, if you will, with me. Let's read it again together. No one is greater in this house, Joseph is saying, than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Here's the question. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He doesn't say and sin against you, sin against myself, sin against Potiphar. Would those all be sins? Oh, they would. His sin would be against Potiphar's wife. His sin would be against Potiphar. His sin would be against his own body, as 1 Corinthians teaches us. But there was something deeper than all of those three things that held Joseph in this test, and that is this. How could he sin 
and do such an evil, wicked thing against God. Against God. He saw this temptation for what it was. It wasn't sleeping with her. It wasn't having an affair. But he saw it as a great wickedness and evil. I want to tell you today, let me give you a reference point. Let me turn your compass in the right direction this morning. Sexual immorality in all of its diversity in our world today, sexual immorality is an evil and it is a wickedness and it is a sin against God. I know that's not an amen point, but it's an amen point. It's ultimately against God's intention, design, creation, purpose, and reason. It runs counter to his instructions, commands, and guidelines that he gives us. And so when we deviate from how he spells out sexuality, when we deviate from that, we are sinning against God. You've heard it said, and so have I. This isn't hurting anybody. This is just something that's about me. And if I'm willing to face it, then I'm willing to face it. This isn't going to hurt anybody. We're consenting adults. We're not hurting anybody. We're not, this isn't affecting anybody but us. Oh, my friends, it is an evil and a wickedness against God. That's what the scripture teaches. And so it is more than just the consenting adults. It's the people the consenting adults are related to, connected to, children, and on and on it goes. So it's an offense against God. This gave Joseph the power to run. Where did the power to run come from from in Joseph? It came from his deep-seated reverence and honor for God. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. This may have cost him his position, his authority. He could have been made a slave. He could have been cast out. He could have been removed. He could have been sold into slavery again. There was a lot that could have been on the line. And we're going to see there were ramifications. There were consequences in Egypt for what he did. Because Potiphar's wife, she was a piece of work. She was a piece of work, and we're going to see that next week. So come back next week and see what a piece of work she, she is. But you know what? The consequences weren't as important as the purity. The destination wasn't as important as not sinning against God. And the depth of Joseph's love for God held him, gave him the power to run when he needed to run. Number three. In purity, Joseph was a good steward. He took care of Potiphar's well. He took care of Potiphar's wife. And he took care of his own body, his own appetites, and his own desires. He was a young man of self-control. Self-control is a wonderful fruit of the Spirit that will take you a long way in life. Self-control is not only saying yes to what's healthy and pure and right, but it is saying no to what is unhealthy, impure, and not right. And Joseph committed himself to be a good steward. 
Purity, my friend, begins with the eyes. Purity begins with the eyes. Look at verse 7. This is where this whole scenario started to pick up speed here in verse 7. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph, or he or she looked at him and looked at him and looked at him. You've got to look a while to notice. It's not a passing glance. It's a look. It's a stare. It's a second look. It's a third look. It's a, it's a continual look. It's a noticing. And we see here that Potiphar's wife noticed, or the scripture says in other versions, cast her eyes upon Joseph. Why? We know from verse 6, he was good to look at. We know what, it's, what it is to look at something that's pleasing to the eye. And she saw him as a handsome young man. She looked at him. She noticed him. She belabored her stare upon him. And looking turns to longing, and longing turns to lust. I guarantee you today that if you decide to today start looking for a house, you will probably buy a house. If you go out this afternoon and decide, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to look at a car. I'm just going to kind of go out and I just want to see what's out there. I just would want to look and see, you know, if I had the money or, you know, if the payment was right. I, I just kind of want, I'm not buying. You're chuckling because you've been there, right? I'm not going to buy a car today. I'm not even going to buy a car this week. I'm just going to look. It's just not going to hurt me to look. Oh, let me just tell you right now, looking leads to buying. Gentlemen, be careful when your wife says, let's just go look at some houses. Just want to let you know. I just want, we're not going to buy anything. I know, I know we can't afford it. I know it's not the right time. I know we're really interested in downsizing. But you know what? I just saw a couple things on the back of that false press, and they just kind of looked appealing. So let's just go look. Rut row. <laughs> Cars and houses are easy to talk about. But let's just talk about the sexual appetite for a minute. Prolonged looking leads to longing. Longing leads to lust. Lust, according to James 1, when it fully comes to bear in your life provides an opportunity from temptation, and oftentimes we succumb. Joseph teaches us that purity begins with the eyes. We know that in the life of David that that was true. We know that in 2 Samuel 11 we see the story, and right there at the beginning of that chapter it says, David saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. I'll tell you, a glance didn't tell him that she was beautiful. He looked and looked and looked again. And we know the story. We know what took place. And then we know the horrible consequences that came from that story. My friend, lust and engaging in lust brings consequences, and they're never good. They're, they're never good. Satan would want to tell you, oh, go with how you feel and go with what your desire is and move with what you want. You know, it's going to end up good. 
I'm telling you right now, on the authority of God's word, it will never, ever end up good. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that tells you, you know what, if it's your desire, it's going to be good. It's going to work out right. It's not. It's not. Purity also, from Joseph's life, tells us, notice, don't look. Continuing to look invites lust. Instead, look away. Look away, and in Joseph's case, then run away. But look away. Look away. Psalm 101, 3, which is a great verse if you're taking notes. Write this one down. Purpose to do this, just like David. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. Or in the English Standard Version, it says, I will set before my eyes nothing that is worthless. Where does sin begin? It begins with our eyes. How can you look at pornographic images on the internet and not find yourself in a bad place eventually? It can't happen. How can you find yourself looking at sinful behavior on a movie screen and not have that affect your spirit and your soul? It can't happen. They're connected. They're connected. It concerns me at times at the wide window, the very broad window that Christians today can say they can live in. This isn't going to bother me. I'm an adult. I can separate this in my mind. It's not like I'm a teenager. I can handle it. Didn't Jesus say that our spirits and our hearts should be like that of a child? That the purity of our life should be reflected of that of the innocence of a child? It's the enemy that convinces us or tells us, you can look at that. You can take that in. You can watch that. You can engage in that. You can, you can bring that into your home. You can, you can look at that often. You know what? You're a big person. You're, you're, you can handle it. No, you can't. No, we can't. It has an effect on us. What we look at, and David says to us this morning, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. No vile thing. What we take in through our eyes, especially men, what you take in through your eyes is crucial to your life, to your marriage, to your spirit, to your children. Men are most often affected by what they see. Men, for you today, I say this with all the love in my heart, be careful, little eyes, what you see. What you see. Purity says also that we learn from Joseph. Purity says, be honest. Be honest. My friend today, Satan works in the darkness. He works in privacy. He works in secrecy. He works in the places where we keep it to ourselves, in ourselves, in our own spirit, in our own life, and we don't share 
the impurity with anyone else because, hey, we have a reputation to maintain. And you know what? Satan takes advantage of that. Honesty and purity are married to each other. When we have a desire for purity, we're willing to be honest because honesty brings an issue out into the light. And in the light is where God can work with us, where God can heal us, where God can forgive us, where someone else can know and where we can be accountable. It's the light. If we hide, if we hold within us that issue, then Satan will take advantage of us there. So purity says, be honest. Purity says, protect your family. You might say, what does the purity in my life have to do with my children? You know, we have guidelines and guards around what they watch and where they go and who their friends are, you know, how much they're on their phone, and we, we guard all of that. We have rules and things that are going to keep them in check. What does my purity as a father or as a mother have to do with them? Oh, my friend, an enormous amount. Your purity and your or your impurity has a direct effect on your children. A direct effect on your children. Remember in 2 Samuel 11 is the picture of David's adultery with Bathsheba. And we see the situation there. And then you just go two chapters from there And you read about David's children, Amnon and Tamar, and the incest that happened in that particular relationship. David's impurity affected his children. Our purity or our impurity has an effect on future generations. Keep your finger there in Genesis and go over to the book of Exodus, and I want you to see some verses there that are challenging verses, but they're encouraging verses. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. And I'm going to read 6 and 7. And he passed in front of Moses, this is the Lord, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. What's he saying there? There's a connect. There's a link. There's a link to your personal purity and the purity of your children. There's a link. There's a link from your impurity to your children. In fact, the scripture talks about it this way. Iniquity is the inward motivation or attitude. It's the transgression that's the the deed of sin. It's the transgression that's the violation of God's command. But really the scripture also talks about iniquity. And the iniquity or the heart attitude or the purity of heart is inward. It's the inner motivation. It's the inner attitude. And that's why in Isaiah 53, the prophet there says these words. For he was wounded for our transgressions, our deeds, our sinful actions. 
But he was bruised, you know the verse, he was bruised for what? Our iniquities, our inner motivations, our inner attitudes, the things that we carry within us, the impurity that's within us is carried. And it's those iniquities, my friends, that have an impact on your children. And according to Exodus 34, your children's children. Purity says, protect your family. Purity also says, choose love, not lust. Choose love, not lust. You've heard it before, younger people and even those of us that are older, you know. If you love me, you will. If you really love me, you say you love me, prove that you love me. Prove that you love me. Carry it out. Go through with it. Show me sexually that you love me. If you love me, you will. And I'm going to tell you, ladies, if you hear that line, gentlemen, if you hear that line, run, baby, run. That's not love. That's lust. It's a lie. Impurity is always lust. It's never love. Impurity is always lust. It's never love. If Potiphar's wife loved Joseph, she wouldn't have lied and she wouldn't have left him in prison for 10 years. It was lust. It was lust. Impurity carries consequences, and all of them are painful. Purity carries consequences, and they all are all blessings from God. They are all blessings from God. My friend today, Joseph, is a wonderful example to us. Joseph didn't do everything right in life. In fact, we've talked two weeks about his blunders and his pride and his arrogance and how he thought he was all that. We saw that in Joseph's life. So don't hold Joseph up as Jesus. He wasn't Jesus. But in this area of purity, Joseph got it. He knew that it was sin against God first and foremost. His love for God was his anchor that caused his feet to run that day. His love for God trumped his own reputation, trumped his own security for his future. His purity held his his feet to the Lord, his, his purity of heart. We can learn great lessons from him today. For Joseph is rescued from a pit and he's placed in a palace and he was introduced to the detour of temptation to be impure and he resisted that temptation. And as we'll see, there's great blessing in his life as a result. How about you today? Do you feel like you're on a detour of temptation? Temptation to be immoral, to give up the purity in your life. I would venture in a group this big, there are several of us in this room that would say, you know, the pressure's been, the pressure's been strong. To look, to notice, to linger. Maybe it's been so strong that there's been steps and movement toward a situation. I'm, I believe the Lord sent this message to you today to say, don't. Don't. Don't go there. If you need to run, 
run. Run away. Run to God. Because he's the one that will strengthen you. He will, he will be the one. He will rescue you from the temptation, but we have to run to him. I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're being te- tested, I encourage you, choose purity. Choose what's right. Choose to be honest. The best thing that you can do as a married person when temptation comes, tell your spouse. Tell your spouse. Bring it out into the light. What's in the light can never harm you. It's what's in the dark that has the potential to hurt and to harm. My brothers and sisters today in the world that we're living in, I'm encouraging you, stay pure. And if you don't, you're not in a place of purity, you can get into a place of purity. It's as simple as calling on the name of Jesus and his blood. That will restore your purity. Let's pray. Father, what a great, great story we see in Joseph this morning. It's such a wonderful reminder for us, Lord, because we live in such a confused world. And Lord, we're your people, called by your name, washed in your blood, set apart for you. And Lord, we live in this world that wants to just pull at that holiness and pull at that purity and pull at that... at at that testimony and that relationship with with temptation, Lord. And some of us in this room this morning, we would even identify that before you and say, Lord, I've been tempted. I've been tempted, or I've succumbed, or I've fallen into a lustful situation. Maybe I've even pursued it. And Lord, this is a moment that you've brought us to that you can restore purity to our lives. You can make us whole. You can make us pure. You can make us right with you again. So I'm going to wait for just a moment, and I'm going to allow you to have a moment with the Lord. Maybe the Lord's been convicting you this morning about what you've been looking at, just thinking, oh, it's just a casual thing. It's no big deal. Oh, my friend, it is a big deal, because the lust of the eyes is the place where things get started. Maybe that's where the Lord's speaking to you this morning about what you've been looking at. You just need to make that right with him. Maybe you've taken something beyond where it needs to be. Maybe you've started a relationship. Maybe there's been lust that's been developed in your heart. This is the place and this is the moment to just confess it to the Lord and make it right. Just make it right. Lord, I pray today for your cleansing. I pray today that you will just wash. Wash the hearts this morning with your blood, that precious blood that we've sang about this morning. It washes us, it cleanses us, and it also gives us the power to stay on the the path of purity in our lives, Lord. I pray, Father, that, Lord, you'll just forgive those who are confessing what they've been looking at to you. It hasn't been right, it hasn't been pleasing to you. And, Lord, I just pray that your forgiveness would be great. You would just wash them clean this morning. May we be your people in this dark world, in this pressuresome time. Lord, may we take Joseph's example and maintain our purity. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.